I'm so excited to be here and uh, even to have this passage. I've been living with it for at least a month and it's a zinger. Um, I'm here as a pastor now. I was serving this church for about nine years, nine years ago, and I've been called back now to be kind of a shepherd and coach to the staff to pray for and encourage and coordinate and do strategic planning and align resources. And so this passage right away condemns planners. Go figure. (laughs) The book of James is quite a book. He doesn't mince words. He just goes right after it. And there are those who love James and those who can't stand James because his famous line, faith without works is dead. And yet we're justified by faith alone, nothing more. How do we make sense of all this? Well, I was describing to my neighbor um, earlier that uh, recently that I was preaching on James and she said, I love the book of James. And I said, really, tell me why. And she said, it's so clear. You know, so much of scripture, we have to interpret the parable. What's Jesus getting at? What's this theology mean? What's Romans really all about? James just says it. This is what I'm expecting. This is what I want. And as James is wrapping up his book, now he kind of comes at us with a rapid fire set of five things that he's looking for. It kind of reminds me of when a coach gets interviewed before a big game and the reporter, you know, will stick the microphone in front of the coach and say something like, you know, they've got a great defense coach. How are you going to handle that? And then the coach tries to say, this is what James is telling us. This is what he wants out of the team. You've watched the tapes. You've heard the talks. You've been at practice. Now get out there, and this is what he wants you to do. He wants you to be people of integrity. And we're going to look at five ways that we are to kind of demonstrate that integrity. So the message translates this first exhortation this way. And now I have a word for you who brashly announced today and at the latest tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for a year and we're going to start a business and we're going to make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills, we'll do this or that. We're people who have a lot of goals and plans. Many of us have a financial plan, or we think we should have a financial plan. We plan if we earn X amount for X amount of years, then we can do, we can maybe buy a second home, we can take a certain trip. We have goals for our family. If our children study hard, they get good grades. If they take piano for X amount of years or get their Eagle Scout, that'll help them with a scholarship. We have goals for the size of our house. We want to be the house where teenagers hang out. That means that we need a bigger house. Um, Sometimes we get way ahead of ourselves. You know, if I make this kind of a bonus, if I save this amount of money, here's how I'll spend that money that I don't even yet have. Some of us, if you're like me, you make lists of things, what you're going to do today, and then if you do something that wasn't on the list, you add it to the list so you can make the check mark. Anybody? Okay. We set up these equations for what success is going to look like. We set up our own standards, and there are human standards. There's, we, there's fashion standards. There are business standards. There are certain degrees and certain schools. Those are the ones that we want to have on our resume. Jesus, through James, God has given us a different picture. He's given us a different life purpose. He's saying, you know what? You're, you're a little mist. Now, mist is nice. You know, if you're hiking in Yosemite and it's really hot and you stop next to a waterfall and there's a mist, it's wonderful. 
But if you're a piece of mist, you know, you can't really drive where you're going. The, the mist kind of needs to float along. If you're a river, now the river can determine where it's going. God is the river. We're the mist. We just want to be part of the river. I had this amazing experience of being invited into the Mexico mission trip. It happened a couple weeks ago, and it happened that there were more students who wanted to go down and serve in Tijuana than we could accommodate. So Greg was praying about more leaders, and I thought, great, I would be interested in being a leader and finding out about kind of what the whole trip is like. And Greg said, okay, I'll give you the manual for being a leader. And I thought, great, I'm going to get equipped to know how to speak with high school students, you know, high school was a long time ago for me and I'm going to find out kind of what the small group questions will be and Greg handed me this manual and I opened it up and it was all about how to build a house I kid you not the materials that you'll need what you're going to do on day one which is flatten out your your site what you're going to do on day two which is pour a cement foundation for a house what you're going to do on day three which is frame up the house and possibly put on the siding and what you're going to do on day four which is put up the roof and what you're going to do on day five is you know finish things like the windows the doors painting and the trim work great this is like a giant lego set Then I found out that not only was I going to do this, fortunately with a very capable partner, leader, um, and eight high school students or so, but there were going to be 11 teams doing this. And those 11 teams, it would take 14 vans and four trucks to get us into Mexico. And we would have to have a whole cooking team. And we would be using porta-potties and sleeping on cement. And the kind of logistics of this trip were absolutely unbelievable. This team did an incredible job of planning. They had to. They had to have a very extensive plan. But here's what I admired most about Greg Milliken, our youth pastor. He had to hold those plans very lightly. He did it so gracefully. Because every time we turned around, something was a little different than we had anticipated. And I had Greg's confidence because I'm kind of his new uh, boss, you know, so he wanted me to be praying about these things. The first thing I found out was all the material that we needed to build these houses was not being allowed through the border. Mexico had tightened up its regulations about the amount of wood that comes. Wood is essential in building houses. (laughs) You know, if the wood doesn't get into Mexico, we're kind of stuck. So we began to pray about things like, if you would please let the wood in, Lord, that would be great. (laughs) So there we were, 105 students and their hammers, something like 35 leaders, 11 color-coded teams with walkie-talkies, with handkerchiefs around their necks that match their team color, a crook crew ready to feed the hungry workers, and a cord leadership whose terrific, amazing planning had been stymied by this ever-changing policy. How do we hold our plans? Practice humility. Walk humbly with your God. Greg gathered our team together in the morning, and we would go over things like how to build the frame of a house, should the wood arrive on your work site. And then he would pray, Lord, you're going to get these houses built. And whatever it is you have for us to do today, let us do it. Let us be a mist. Let us play our part. You see, if we're a little piece of mist... We don't really have a steering wheel to drive with. We're we're just a part of something bigger. 
You can have plan A, you can have plan B, you can have plan C, but there kind of comes a point where you say, if God wills, that's what we'll do. God's going to get those houses built. And here's the good news. You realize God is so much bigger than you are. You know, maybe it's God's plan that we sit there on that cement and, you know, pray for wood. And the whole neighborhood learns about people praying for wood. We don't know the big picture. And this leads to James' next piece of advice. Yes? Very good. Mercy. (laughs) James says this. You have these plans. Stop bragging about your plans. Stop boasting about your plans. Do what is right. Do what it's given to you to do. He says, uh, the NIV says this, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. I sinned in Mexico. I'd like to announce it. I'm not proud. Here's what happened. It was a sin of commission. I committed an act that I should not have done. Our work site was located on a hillside. The hillside was very steep. I see people who uh, got their trucks. They're here right now. People who got their trucks stuck on that hillside. It was sandy. It was rocky. But our little work site was carved out of the hillside. And if you touched the little hill, which was maybe two feet from the side of our house, it would fall down. Immediate avalanche. So we made a very strong rule. Don't touch the hill. Don't throw rocks at the hill. Don't jump down the hill. Don't try to climb up the hill. Well, by the last day, you know, we had obeyed the rules. And it was getting late. And people were calling my name. And I wasn't sure we were going to get finished because I like to get finished. And I was on the back side of the house where no one could really see me. And I was on my neighbor's lot where the hill was getting a little less steep. And I thought, you know, just this once. I could take a step down this hill. You know, I'm not jumping like those students. I'm going to cautiously just take one step instead of walking the three minutes all the way around. And as I took that one step down about this three-foot hill, the rock that I put my foot upon just went. And you'll see that my other leg stayed up on the hill. You know, the body doesn't do that. And so I have a torn MCL and maybe an ACL. Please pray against that because that's a surgery. In that moment... When I thought to myself, you know, I probably shouldn't do this. This is our neighbor's hill. We don't want to knock this hill over either. It's not wise. I made an exception for myself. You know, I can do this just this one time. It's a sin. I didn't do the right thing. I committed an act which was wrong. James is actually not talking about those kinds of sins. He's talking about sins of omission. Things that you did not do that you ought to have done. Maybe somebody is sitting here thinking, I ought to have gone to Mexico. I missed out on a great adventure. Can you think of things that you ought to have done and you took a pass? James is saying, you're so busy with your plans. You're bragging about what you're going to do next year. You're bragging about the profits that you're going to make when you do this or that. And you don't even do the things, the right things that you know you need to do. Primarily, he's thinking of acts of mercy. You don't even stop along the way and help those in need. Does the Good Samaritan story come to mind? You know, you're a people who are so busy with your own agenda. You're even getting to a church meeting. That you don't notice that there's somebody who needs you. You don't stop and put your agenda aside and put God's agenda before your own. That's what God is looking for in his followers. 
People are tuned in to what his will is, not our own will. So while we are white-knuckling our way through life, darting around, not wanting anything to slow us down, we don't notice what Jesus is pointing to, what Jesus is calling us to. We get so pressured to accomplish our own goals that we can't imagine that God might have different, maybe even more important, eternal goals for us. So James is kind of now rambling, if you will, I free associating. It's like, kind of like, okay, um, oh, speaking of acts of mercy and stopping with your plans, I want to talk about the rich now, because the rich are more likely to do this than anyone else. And that's where this passage gets so scathing. To be a person of integrity, the rich in particular are called to invest in eternity, not just in what we think is so important. As we came home from Mexico, we came across the border and Greg got special permission for us to go into this park that was a border park. And we got to walk along the border fence. And as we stood there, we heard stories of people who've done exactly the wrong thing that James is condemning. Farmers who have hired illegal workers and brought them onto the field to pick their crop and then when it came time to pay them instead of handing out paychecks called the police and had them come and be picked up so that that farmer wouldn't have to pay those wages now you know we pray and know that many farmers don't do this but it has been done we've heard of slave ships times in times gone by where they couldn't afford to feed all the men and women that they'd captured as prospective slaves, so they tied them to big rocks and drowned them in the sea, all because of a prophet. And James is saying, if you're rich, beware how you got rich. Beware how much luxury you're enjoying, because that's your reward. And then he's going to talk to those who suffer, those who are poor. So we're going to look at the rich first. Invest in eternity. Show respect to the people under your employee. He even says, pay them on time. They're waiting for their wages. People want their pay. They're working for you for pay. Pay them. Pay them fairly. Pay them quickly. Place a high value on people over things, over your own good pleasure, over luxury. Focus on eternal treasure. And then James gets really specific and he speaks like a prophet as if it had already happened. That's that whole thing about there's, you're already burning. There's already a fire. It's your wealth, the things that you feel, and I don't just mean you, I mean me. James means everyone. The things that you treasure, that you hold on to, these gold and silver and fancy garments, which were actually part of a person's inheritance. You'd actually pass them from one generation to the next. They're vulnerable, James says. They can be corroded. They can rust. Moth can get in there and destroy them. You're setting your standards by the world's standards rather than by God's standards. In this room, friends, we're rich. We're the third of the world that is rich. In America, our average income is $50,000 a year. That's most of us in this room. Over 60% of the world's population lives on a dollar a day or less. A dollar a day. Can we even hold that in our minds? Can we hold those two realities side by side? Our high school students did it. 
I was in the van with them as we as we drove from our orphanage kind of safe haven over to where our work sites were. And my particular team crossed three little rivers and we we called our neighborhood the Three River Vista neighborhood, brand new neighborhood development. We crossed these three little rivers. The first one we called Rio de los Osos because every town should have a Bear Creek. The second one we called Rio de los Coches Muertes, River of the Dead Cars. Why was that? Yes, there were pieces of cars in the little creek. And the last one, uh, River of Sewage. Why? Because it was. We drove through the dump for 20 minutes to get to the housing development that we were building a house on. A house that was 12 feet by 24 feet. Take that in. 12 feet by 24 feet. Divided in half, it's about the size of most of our bedrooms. Or a little smaller. Our family that we worked with paid $7,500 for that lot. And we're building them a house. The dad got a new job while we were there. He takes the bus and walks two hours to his job each way. His two sons, ages 16 and 19, walk two hours to school every day. The neighborhood doesn't yet have electricity. They might be able to steal some from the neighborhood next door if they put up the poles. Can we live alongside those neighbors? Can we hold them in our mind, in our heart? That's what James is telling us to do. Then he turns to the poor and he says, those who suffer, suffer well. If you find yourself suffering, do it well. What does that look like? Maintain a hope in Jesus Christ. There's a hope that does not disappoint. Whatever you're going through, whatever suffering you're called upon to endure, there's a hope that you can hold on to no matter what. That in life and in death, you belong to a faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Pray for patience. I looked at the mom that I was working with. Her name was Leticia. And I looked at the way she dressed her family. They were clean. They wore white sweatshirts. How many times have I sent my kids out of the house with a sweatshirt that not, did not look white? Their hair did not look combed. They didn't have a respect kind of for where they were coming from. But this mom has instilled that in her family. She's not bitter. She didn't look at me and begrudge me who I am. She accepted me. She received me. It was, it was amazing to me. And not everybody's that way. But she was. If you're suffering, ask God for comfort. It's okay to desire to not suffer. Pray that God will bring you what you need that the suffering could end. Pray that for our brothers and sisters who suffer. That the God of all comfort will bring them comfort. And it may be through us. It may be that when we pray for someone's comfort, we're called to do something about comforting them. Can we hold in our mind... The rich and the poor side by side. That's what James is telling us. Rich, don't isolate yourself. Don't live in your own little bubble, your own little world, where you have your own little plans and your own little resources. Remember, you're part of something much bigger. You can be part of God's solution for those who suffer. 
And then he kind of goes on and it's like he's saying, okay, now, finally, and above all, since you know God cares, let your language show it. Don't add words like, I swear to God, to your own words. Don't show your impatience by conjuring up oaths to hurry up God. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. How many times do we find ourselves saying, I really mean it. You know, why don't you, if you say something, really mean it all the time? Do you know somebody upon whom you can rely? I once had a worker who came to my house to do things that I didn't know how to do. And if he said he'd be there at 7 o'clock, he was there at 6.58. If he said he could get this job done in four hours, he could usually get it done in two. His word was so reliable, I couldn't say enough about him. I almost called him to say, hey, can I tell everybody what a good worker you are? I think he'd get overwhelmed. How few people in our world can we really rely on? That if they say they'll do it, they'll do it. That's what James is saying should exemplify, should typify a follower of Christ. That Christians all over in our workplace, in our homes, in our schools, in our neighborhood, if we said we'd do it, we'd do it. If we said we're not going to do it, we don't do it. But we sort of get sucked in, don't we? No, this time I really mean it. James says, follow through on your word. Remember, you are representing Christ. Tell the truth. Sleep well at night. Don't have to review your day and kind of compare. Well, did I say that? You know, did I tell that friend that? And did I tell that friend that? Does that really line up? Just tell the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. One of the most famous exchanges between Jesus and one of his disciples is when he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus says again, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And then it's almost like Jesus says, then show me. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Do something about your word. Let your yes be such a resonant yes that others know you really meant yes. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for this word, for this word that exhorts us, for this word that stings us, that you might call us through your word to be a people of integrity. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be so into our own agendas and into our own plans and comparing ourselves to those who also have a lot, but that we would be open-hearted toward those in need, that you would call us to bring to mind those who are suffering, those who are poor, those who need us, those who need in particular our yes. So, Lord, we say yes to you and ask that you would so shape our lives that others would know that we love you by the way that we live. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.